What's up, everybody? This is John Odermatt, the host of Felony Friday. And before we get rolling into today's show, I want to take a quick moment to talk about coffee. That's right, coffee. The Lions of Liberty, we have partnered up with Anarcho Coffee, and we are selling our very own coffee. It's called the Morning Roar. It is a medium dark roast that has cupping notes of lemon lime, caramel, black pepper, and brown sugar. It is delicious. You can pick up some of this coffee by going to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee. We have a way there on your first purchase. You can get 10% off, but if you join the Pride for $10 and up, you can actually get more than that. You can get 15% off every single order. Buy some coffee support the Lions of Liberty, support another great libertarian company as well. Everybody wins. Lionsofliberty.com slash coffee. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons. Friends and freedom lovers, welcome, welcome back to another edition of your favorite criminal justice reform activist information show out there where we bring you interesting conversations and interviews about the criminal justice system. Today's show is one of those interviews for sure. It's actually not an interview. It's more of a roundtable discussion. I'm going to introduce my guest in just a minute here. I actually have a a former prison guard on the show, on today's show, and a prison consultant. So we're going to be talking through and answering. They'll be answering. I'll be asking the questions because I don't know the information they know. But they'll be answering questions that probably you are wondering about prison, what it's like inside, stories about it, fights, things that happen on the inside behind the prison walls. You're going to hear about all of that stuff today. Before we get to that, I just want to remind you guys, a great way to help this show is to subscribe to it. And it's important to know when you subscribe to this show, Felony Friday, you also get access to two other shows. You're subscribing to a variety show, if you will. It's the Lions of Liberty podcast variety show. It has three shows. We kick off every week with our Monday show hosted by Mark Clare, our longest running program, our flagship program. And Mark on that show interviews leaders in the libertarian movement. On Wednesday, it's Electric Liberty Land. It's a current events show, a, a, a comedy type show. And uh, it's hosted by Brian McWilliams. Brian is doing a great job. He mixes in every once in a while in uh, an interview here and there last week. I should say this week, this past Wednesday, had a very interesting interview. And Brian has had a couple of these where he brings on people who are not necessarily libertarians. He's from California, so most of the time they're more left-leaning, but to talk about these ideas of liberty. And I think these are important conversations to have to hear a good example of how to talk to somebody about the ideas of liberty who might not see eye-to-eye with you. So very great conversation. Check that out if you haven't. And you can get all these shows delivered to your phone, of course, like I said, by subscribing. If you do subscribe, please give us a five-star rating. Leave a little review as well, especially on Apple Podcasts. That helps us a ton with that algorithm over there. Now, today's show, like I said, we have a former prison guard and a current prison consultant on the show. You can find the show notes at lionsofliberty.com slash FF172. So, 
Come to the show notes page, check that out. Let's get rolling with today's show. All right, on today's show, I have two guests. This, of course, is an episode of Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor. I'm not sure if these guys are libertarians, but that's not necessarily the most important thing. Um, they both bring a very uh, knowledgeable background from different perspectives of the prison system. We have Dan Wise coming back to the show. Dan was on Felony Friday back on episode 97. Dan, welcome back to Felony Friday. Appreciate it, John. Very happy to be here. And uh, Dan, I guess before we introduce our second guest, you want to give a quick uh, overview, an introduction uh, about yourself, what you're up to. Uh, I know you have a YouTube channel and uh, you, you run a prison consultant business as well. Yes, sir. Um, I have a federal prison consulting business. It's called Federal Prison Time Consulting. And I'm also the administrator of our YouTube channel, which is RDAPDAN, R-D-A-P-D-A-N. We primarily focus on content to produce for individuals that possibly might be facing a federal prison sentence or state prison sentence. First time nonviolent offenders, white collar individuals, pretty much anybody that's getting ready to go into the system that doesn't understand what comes next. We have a pretty involved program that helps everybody from how they can reduce their sentence, what type of letters they should produce to the judge. Uh, we just brought my daughter on board who's going to be working with us, working with other children of our clients that have kids uh, from their perspective. So really a little bit of everything from the perspective of how you can better prepare to mitigate your sentence so you can serve the least amount of time in the best possible situation. So basically a, a one-stop shop, if you're going to prison, they can get everything from, uh, you know, learning the ins and outs of the system, even even the family can, can get help too. That's that's interesting. I didn't know your daughter was uh, was was coming to, you know, to help to, to work with you. I, I, don't, I saw that you, was that last week you interviewed her on your show? I posted the video yesterday. So yeah, she yesterday. just joined us about two weeks ago. Okay, very cool. Um, and my other guest on today's show is David Lehman. David has, I think, to the listeners out there, a very interesting past. Uh, he's a uh, retired prison guard, and he worked in a supermax prison. Now he has the YouTube channel as the key turns. David, welcome to Felony Friday. Oh, thank you. Um, just a, a little bit about me and what I'm doing. Uh, I don't have anything nearly as interesting as Dan does. I mean, I'm just a, I'm just a retired prison guard who's using um, YouTube sort of like therapy. If, you, if that's the way it started, anyway, I decided that um, you know what I what I used to do would be to to pay somebody to tell all these stories to, and I've already driven my family crazy. They're like, "Oh my God, he's telling that story again." So um, I've got about twenty one thousand viewers on my As the Key Turns um, YouTube channel, and uh, that I'm I'm telling all my stories again to, um, to, uh, get a different perspective. Actually, it's, uh, it's been pretty interesting. Some of the things that, that, um, people have fired back at me on the, on the comments and things. And, uh, that's, that's basically it. It's sort of a hobby of mine. And, uh, you know, I, I enjoy taking videos of things and, uh, I didn't really think I had anything to say, but, uh, turns out I'm a lot more interesting than I ever thought I was. <laughs> yeah, I, I would, I would say that, uh, you know, a lot of people wonder about what happens behind the prison walls. You hear stories, but to, to be able to tell the stories really that you experienced personally, I, 
definitely. No, there's a, a demand for people to <clears throat> to hear that. And you guys both have you know unique insights into that area. So maybe that's a good place to start to maybe share you know some of these things that people might not understand or know about how prisons function. Um, especially, and we, maybe we can start with you, David, when we talk about, maybe just start with a simple definition. Um, you use the word supermax. Can you just explain to my audience what is a supermax prison and what types of prisoners does, does it house? Um, the, the, the common definition is worst of the worst. Out of the entire federal prison system, there's about 500 people that are are for whatever reason deemed to be uh, so out of control that they need to have very special, very restricted uh, lifestyle. So what they've done is they've taken um, these people that, I mean, I, I met uh, serial killers that are on the inside and, and they may have killed five, six other people, prisoners, other staff, th- those kind of things. And to keep them from harming other people, they'll send them to the supermax or they're the leaders of a gang or the, the leaders of some criminal organization that requires a lot more restrictive housing than, than anywhere else. So they're really 500 of the worst of the worst. And uh, on top of that, we have the a unit that was called the control unit, which are the worst of the worst of the worst. And that might only have 50 guys in there, 40 guys. And they're people that have killed prison guards that have um, started race wars that um, have committed all kinds of heinous crimes behind the walls. I mean, just because you go to prison don't mean that you stop committing crimes. And so the supermax is kind of prison for prison. So is that – so is the the prison within the prison is that you refer to, is that this the CMU? Is that what that's referred no, to? No, CMU is, that something is a, a totally different thing. A CMU might be for um, – um, they, we've got folks that have like a large following on the outside – so he might be a a cult leader that's committed a bunch of crimes. Like um, you know, there's there's cults that have hmm. um, made a routine of of child molestation, and so a person like that, we we don't want him communicating with the outside world and leading his followers, uh, so to speak. So that that's what a CMU is for. A lot of the hmm. Uh, terrorism suspects or not suspect convicts. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where they go. I mean, you don't want these, you don't want them spreading their, their hatred all over the, you know, the outside world. So, so, so very, very different than uh, the types of prisoners, the people who come to, to Dan for help, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're completely different folks. I, I've dealt with those people too. And, you know, there's a lot of folks that just, um, they make a mistake. They didn't fill out the IRS form. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they thought, well, you know, I, I lie a little bit on my uh, loan application at the bank and everything will be okay. Or I'll go ahead and sneak $15,000 through customs because I don't trust everybody. And uh, you end up in the slammer for that. 
so Dan, what what types of uh, what types of people, what types of crimes do you see who who come to you for help? Who? Uh, yeah, it's completely different from from David's perspective from where he's been. Uh, I spent my time at a low security. The type of individuals that I came across on a daily basis, and I just for those of you that are tuning in for the first time, I was not a prison guard. I was an actual inmate in federal prison. Uh, I went to prison for conspiracy to distribute oxycodone, basically worked for a doctor who was over-prescribing pain medication and got wrapped up in indictment. However, the individuals that I run across on a day-to-day basis that come to me for help or are getting ready to go to prison are very similar to what you see with the individuals going on with the uh, with the college scandal right now, the mm-hmm. cheating scandal. Uh, it's mostly white collar, first time nonviolent offenders. But the reality is, is when you first get involved in the system, you you don't get arrested today and go to prison tomorrow. You get arrested today and you might be out on what's called pretrial supervision for months and months and months or even years. You know, my case started in 2011. I didn't go to prison until 2014. And from that period of time, from 2011 until 2014, the thought of going to prison, I imagined it being exactly like what David just uh, explained. So my prison experience was really getting ready to go to prison. The thought of prison far superseded the reality of where I went. And that's one of the services that we really provide is to help people break that difference down so they can stop thinking about committing suicide and going on the run. Uh, big difference. Yeah, um, Dan brings up a really good point about the the stories that I tell. I'm talking about a supermax prison. It it's not the prison that uh, even the guy that that holds up the corner grocery store is going to go to. You know, he uh, the what I'm talking about is is the end of the line. I mean, the most violent, vile people in the system. So. Uh, my stories really have very little to do with the rest of the prison system. We were very unique. Mm-hmm. And I, I know you did a, uh, a YouTube video talking about people ask you the question, were you ever afraid to go to work when you were a prison guard? If you could kind of, kind of explain what were there days, if you're going to, you know, your place of employment, you're surrounded by people that could potentially kill you. Um, or have killed others. Was that ever a little bit, uh, that get on your nerves when you were getting ready to go into work? Um, yes and no. Uh, we play a lot of psychological games. Even, even Dan has had the, the, the experiences with this stuff where we, um, both sides torture the other, you know, it's, it's really fun when you're an inmate to get a, to get an emotional response from the guards and, um, that's what really wears on my nerves. You know, the, the, the fear factor was mostly of not being backed up by my side, my gang, if that's what you want to term it, um, being humiliated, uh, that kind of thing. Fear of death. You know, I was a cop for forever. I w- and then I worked at the prison. Uh, I was in the active army for six years in the military police. So it just, I know it's a possibility, but I don't even let it worry me. It's just, it's just another risk of the job. So I didn't dwell on, Oh, I might get killed today. Even during the prison riots, I just went, well, we got to 
these things that need to do and and we did them and i don't know uh, but a very few people that did dwell on it and and they didn't last very long yeah you, you probably couldn't if if you were having to go through that process every day you're getting ready to go to work and you're terrified and or you're <clears throat> it's stressing you out yeah you're you're not going to make it it's it's going to beat you down and wear you down right you know, I, I actually have a question for you, Dave. Uh, David, this is one of the questions I always wondered in prison. Obviously, I was at a nonviolent prison, so it wasn't something that correctional officers really needed to worry about on a regular basis. But I always wondered at these higher level prisons where you got correctional officers that clearly could be in danger at any moment, how often do you find that other prison officials, guards, correctional officers would get complacent because something hadn't happened for such a long period of time? that they lower their guard. And before you know it, the inmates were just waiting to take advantage of that. And the minute his guard was down, that's when they jumped on him and started, you know, poking him in the neck or, or whatever might happen next. That's the number one killer of people in my job is complacency. It, it's just like what I just told you. I don't think about it. it. It's not part of my daily thought process. And after a while, it's it's just like, ah, oh, that ain't going to happen because it never happened before. So it won't happen today. And then, oops, uh, now I'm in serious trouble and fighting for my life. So, yeah, that happens. That's uh, that's the number one killer. We remind each other of that. You know, hey, uh, you know, are you thinking about this, that and the other thing? You know, um, and when I came to work and I wasn't up to speed, I would even tell the the guys that I work with, hey. I've got this issue, it's on my mind, and I may not be at on my A game today. So you might want to just keep an eye on me. So yeah, uh, that was the number one killer. That is the number one killer of prison guards. You know, and I asked that question because because I was in a nonviolent prison where we rarely saw other inmates fight. There was that one occasion where a correctional officer, I, I don't know what happened. I only heard it from hearsay. I saw the aftermath. And he damn near was beaten to death with a microwave and an iron from uh, two homosexual inmates that evidently the guard made a, what they felt to be a rude comment, not sure what he said, but it was something that was definitely not along with what they felt he should have been saying. Mm -hmm. And they waited for him to do count. And as one guard went one way, he went the other side where the cubicle split and they were just waiting for him with an iron and a, a microwave of all things to use as a weapon. Jeez. And they beat him for a good six or seven minutes. And the other guard, he was too intimidated to come to his rescue until other, uh, until other staff came and he hit the panic button. But I mean, two or three minutes getting hit by an iron in a microwave over and over and over again by two rather large inmates. I mean, it was, uh, it was a brutal experience that I had to imagine, man, this must go on in the penitentiaries and the mediums on a regular basis. Yeah, it, it, it occasionally happens. The, the thing I get from your story is the, the one guy wasn't injured. Uh, that wouldn't have flew at my prison. Your, uh, your partner got the hell beat out of him. Why don't you have a scratch or two on you? Uh, that, that happened once in my career. And uh, I made sure that um, everybody knew about it. And she decided to get employment elsewhere not long after. We don't, we don't need them people. You can't. Mm -hmm. If you can't do what needs to be done, I don't need you. I, I'm, I refuse to work with you. I'll go home. I wasn't going to bring that part of it up, but it, it was a female correctional officer that was his, uh, his backup. Oh, well, really? I, I, I'm not 
picking on females. I mean, that I have heard it Boy. was. Now, now we're going to get all kinds of mail from. Oh God. <laughs> well, but I mean, come on, let's let's be truthful. I mean, yeah. What, it, what is your take on that, a, Dave? What's what's your take on a female prison guard? You know, like a, a female police officer. I know they can, you know, they can enforce the law, but you have to be respecting of the law to allow yourself to be enforced in a lot of situations. Nothing against nothing against mm-hmm. women out there, but it's reality. Well, um, the the one instance that I uh, witnessed the cowardness, it was a female correctional officer, but I was told by other staff of other male staff that were uh, less than stellar when it came to, to bravery, hadn't witnessed it myself. And I only ever witnessed this one instance of somebody that was just too frightened to do anything. So um, it was rare in our case, but... It did happen, and now that we're bringing it up, we'll, uh, we'll put me down as a troglodyte because I don't think that women should work in a male institution and vice versa. I think it should be a single-sex thing because I've witnessed way too many issues with the female staff and our male prisoners, and when I was trained just prior to us opening up to a sex offender unit, they sent us to a female camp and I talked to some of the officers there and they said every month they're walking a guy out of the front door of this place. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say, I, I, I agree with that. And honestly, I thought that's the way it was until I started learning about it. I just assumed that's the way it would be. <laughs> the problem is you get today, you might have a, a woman who identifies as a man or a man who identifies as a woman. And then how, how do you, how do you know who's, who's working where it's, it's, it's interesting times, but, I think I what's, go back what's, to what's your email again, John? <laughs> <laughs> Felony Friday at Lions of Liberty dot com. Send it. There send it go. all there. Send all, it all hate there. mail to be directed there. <laughs> but the thing that I go back to, like if my house is on fire and I'm passed out upstairs, probably ninety nine percent of women, I'm a bigger guy, are not going to be able to put me on their shoulder and carry me out of a, of a burning building. So I, I mean, I would think the same thing would apply in a in a prison situation if you have a you know, a, a fight between inmates or something like that. Who do you want to be able to step in? Somebody who's of equal size that could actually uh, really put up a fight? Or I don't know. It's just uh, it's, it's not popular to say today, but men and women are not exactly the same. There's different physical qualities. And I didn't intend for this conversation to go this way. Well, let's, but let's, let's equal the playing field here a little bit for, for the perspective of a female. Yeah. With men working in female prisons, we've done a couple stories. Actually, we did one massive story that was followed over months and months on Alderson, West Virginia, women's federal prison camp with uh, Captain Grimes, who was the prison's captain, who he just got sentenced to 120 months. Most men do not have the wherewithal or the self-control to draw that line of this is a professional position. These people are here to trust me to take care of them. And a lot of these men end up will grant, maybe women entice them, whatever it is, but Mm -hmm. you're in the position of a correctional officer or a captain, whatever it is. And you allow yourself to cross that line where you start having sexual relationships with female inmates. Mm -hmm. And when, once you do that, it becomes rape charges. It becomes everything else because a female inmate that's incarcerated in the, at least in federal prison, they're not allowed to give consent. So when a male crosses that line, 
he knows what the consequences could be. And that's why I agree with what David said, where men shouldn't be in a female prison. And it's not because it's, it's unfair for the male. It's because we can't trust ourselves necessarily mm-hmm. to do the right thing when the candy store is wide open. Um, it's a really ugly system for what men put themselves into dealing with women inmates. Yeah. And I've, I've seen it the other way around where the, the female staff member was uh, walking around telling all of us, I'm lonely. Uh, I, I don't have any male companionship. And uh, wow, that was just a big red flag. And uh, of course she had an inmate that he's got nothing else to do. So of course He's going to be her fantasy man. Anything you want, sweetheart. I'm here for you. I'll listen all day long. And yeah, I got her walked out. But wasn't there a couple of years ago, wasn't there a an incident, a, uh, a prison break where one of the inmates was having sex with a female prison guard and she helped them to break out of prison? He was on my channel, Brian Bruton. He's That's got a right. cha- yeah. He's got a channel called... Uh, Holy moly, just skipped my mind. But yes, he it was in Florida, uh, Florida State Prison. He befriended a female guard, started off mm-hmm. with not chicken nuggets, uh, biscuits, biscuits from like some fast food restaurant, mm-hmm. turned into her falling in love with him. She brought in prison uniforms. I mean, everything was the escape, getaway car, you name it. And yeah, they, she ended up getting, she only ended up getting a year. He got sentenced to an additional 24 months and he spent... 36 months in solitary confinement, which that's human torture in my period. Unless you've murdered somebody and children and you have some really heinous crime, solitary confinement is doing nothing to encourage you succeeding in life. It's going to break people down mentally to really take away whatever humanity they have left. Well, don't you think that, I'm not saying this is right, but was the reason that they put him in solitary confinement would be to deter other inmates from doing the same thing. That may have been the reason, but you're hiring. Like when somebody hires David, there's a level of understanding that you don't put yourself in that situation. And when, when you're this, you should expect inmates to try to do those things. They're inmates, they're criminals. I was a criminal. I was an inmate. I should have been expected to try to push the the limit and the prison, the Bureau of prisons or state prisons, they're relying on, you have this position of power and we're giving you a level of respect and a level of, of security basically. And if you're breaching that to me, that's more on the prison official than it is the inmate. In my opinion, the inmates expected to break the law. The person in David's position is expected to prevent that from happening in the first place. Yeah. We're, uh, we're told that all the time. I, I complain the guy is making a false accusation against me. He's done it 15 times. It's been proved 15 times wrong. And now we're here we are on number 16 and you're investigating it all over like you believe the guy. And they said, look, he's an inmate. He's allowed to lie all he wants. You, on the other hand, have a code of conduct and we're going to strictly enforce it. End of story. So I agree completely with what Dan just said right there. You know, we, we are the ones yeah. that are supposed to be in the convicts and the, the prison guards getting along. <laughs> cats <laughs> only, and dogs only in 2019 cats and dogs living together only on the felony Friday <laughs> podcast here. <laughs> but uh, let's uh, I want to talk about this now before we, before I forget and we don't talk about it. 
And I know I talked about it a little bit with Larry Levine on his show, or when he was on my show, I should say. Although when Larry comes on any show, he takes over. It's his show. <laughs> but uh, but uh, some, there's been some new develops, developments since then, which I think are, are interesting. So in the college cheating scandal, really, I mean, obviously there's hundreds, if not thousands of people involved in it. I'm not even sure of the number. Uh, I know there's been like maybe a... 50 or 60 or 70 indictments, something like that. But the two biggest ones, the ones that everyone sees are the celebrities. Uh, Aunt Becky, of course, Laurie Loughlin, and I forget the woman's name, I don't have it in front of me, the one from Felicity, Desperate Housewives. Uh, Felicity Huffman. Felicity Huffman. And I think it was last week or maybe two weeks ago where Felicity Huffman came out, admitted guilt, said what she did was wrong, um, entered a guilty plea, or I guess took a plea deal right then. Is that is that right, Dan? Did she take a plea deal? Yeah, she she took a plea. She's looking at her plea agreement is twelve to eighteen months, and she's. I'll, I'll honestly be surprised if she does any prison time. Really? Yeah. So so how does that work? How would she completely escape any prison uh, time with that? Because she's obviously going to pay the fines. The, the, her her biggest thing against her right now is the media is watching, and are they going to set a precedent? For the rest, but because she took a plea so early, where it's really going to benefit her for them to give her a better deal to where if they sentence her fast and show that there's no prison time or very little prison time or maybe some home confinement, it's really going to push all of the other individuals into taking a plea deal. We actually have two individuals that are involved in the whole scam that are that are clients of ours. Uh, So we've been getting some interesting inside information to all of this. But when you have people like Lori Loughlin who aren't taking a plea at mm-hmm. this point, the level of denial and where they're coming from, at least for we'll talk about um, you know, not my client's actual situation, but the overall situation, a lot of these individuals hired a consultant to help them get their children into these schools. They were trusting the consultant. That's why the consultant really took the brunt of the wrath of this. Because the consultant was the one that made it sound like, well, this is what everybody does. This is just common law practice. If these individuals really knew what they were getting themselves into, and really mm-hmm. the big issue that came from this is when they started making the the donations, that's what really made this a crime that carries jail time. Um, I think the reason why people like, like, uh, like Lori is having a problem taking a plea, because in her mind, she really did not think at the time that she was doing something that could get her to go to prison because she felt like this is something that everybody's been doing. Doesn't make it right. Just mm-hmm. because you and I ran a stop sign and we got away with it doesn't mean the person behind us shouldn't get a ticket. But that's where her train of thought is stuck right now. Right. And I believe she's going to come around because they just came down with another another round of indictments, another round of charges for the people that did not take the plea. Right. So Isn't that funny how that works? We're- it's how the government works, my man. <laughs> it's how it works. Stone, they just stonewall you until you do what they want. Um, so I believe people like Huffman, their sentences are going to be so short. And then the other individuals that aren't taking the pleas at this point are going to see what they're looking at now versus what they could have been looking at. And they're all going to start begging for pleas. And I, I believe they'll all end up getting the same plea in the end. Yeah, I, I got to say, but I think you're right. And uh, they, they're even saying that uh, Laurie Loughlin, that she's gonna, she would attempt if she does go forward to court to use that as her defense that they were manipulated into doing this, which is it's just completely absurd and ridiculous. That 
she's saying she thought she was breaking rules, not laws. Um, and <laughs> that's that's not going to fly in court at all. Her level of disconnect right now from what actually happened, what her intent was, what the reality is, and how the federal government works, they haven't aligned yet. They're all all over the place. Once they slowly start to align, and there's there's no difference between between Lori and the average first-time nonviolent offender. The difference is she's been used to being able to just throw money at a problem and make it go away, uh, just like any other white-collar individual. Once that strong dose of reality hits in and they see what they're actually looking at and they're backed into that corner, they start to see it for what it really is. And this is why this is why the job of a prison consultant really becomes imperative because the attorney's job, they're, they're so methodical in what they say and so robotic in how they tell you things that they don't break it down to say, hey, look, your only option is to take a plea deal. It doesn't even matter if you're completely fucking innocent with the federal government. They're going to send you to prison. Her kids right now are facing all kinds of ridicule. Her daughter made you know stupid statements on YouTube talking about going to schools, about partying. I really don't care about going to school. What kid doesn't want to go to school for the parties? I mean, there's no difference in her daughter versus anybody else, but the media is exploiting this and flipping it on its back. I, I honestly, I feel bad for everybody that's involved because I know how the federal government will completely derail you. I don't think they should be going to prison for this. I think there should be some, some heavy fines. There should be some precedences set. And people that offer these consulting services, just like RDAP law consultants, they got hit. They should be the ones that are really kind of, they knew what they were doing. They knew they were skirting the law in order to charge over ridiculous amounts of money to get somebody's child into a school. So it's, it's all about greed. Yeah. And important to point out that RDAP law consultants, you're not talking about yourself there. You're talking about a different consulting firm. <laughs> RDAP law consultants. <laughs> I am federal prison time consulting. I just happen to have the pseudoname RDAP Dan. Sure. I actually had a lady that called me up yesterday and told me, um, told me I was RDAP law consultants and was convinced that I was the one that she paid money to. And, oh boy. you know, it, it's not, but it is the, it's, it's a reality that I live in with the name that I have, but um, it's okay. I so, wasn't me. David, I, I want to get your, your perspective on the aspect of this. So if any of these famous people end up going into prison, um, I think you have some stories on your uh, YouTube channel about uh, Pete Rose spending time in a, uh, in a, was that a supermax prison? No, um, we have a camp. It's a level one, like Dan was in a level two. And, uh, oh, I'll mention it right here. The thing that drew me to Dan was I watched some of his videos, and he said, shockingly to me, tell the truth when you're in trouble. And I just said, holy crap, what, what kind of inmate is this? So, <laughs> <laughs> I've got no tattoos, and I tell the truth. Maybe I didn't even go to prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, oh, my God, I never met anybody like this before. Anyway, um, um, no, Pete Rose worked at our at our camp. The, uh, the inside Supermax had about – three to 500 prisoners, depending okay. on how many riots we had. And then attached to us was a camp that might've had 150 to 250, depending on, you know, how many white collar criminals there were that year. And um, they performed a lot of the functions that we wouldn't allow the insiders to do. Like at a normal prison, you see guys with mops all over the place. We would hardly let ours do that because they sharpened the end of the mop and speared somebody with it. So, <laughs> People like uh, like Pete Rose, specifically him, 
he got put into the uh, cable factory that was on the inside, but it was very secluded. And uh, they did everything they could to keep him away from, from the cameras, the other inmates, the staff, everything. Because, you know, he was just very high profile. So he uh, he just sat in a little room and, and screwed little wire things together. That's that's kind of what he did. So did, uh, a- did he try to sell you his autograph? No. Because <laughs> isn't, isn't that why he was in prison for not paying taxes on autograph sales? Something like that? Uh, that and gambling, I think it was. Was it? Okay. It was a big thing of tax evasion. I, I didn't like the guy. I mean, he was just uh, he was just arrogant. You know, like, uh, well, when I get out, I'm going to be making serious money and you, you scum who make very little. You know, it's like, yeah, okay, what do I, I don't care. Um, we run into that at the camp all the time. The guy last month was running a multi-billion dollar corporation and now I'm telling him to sweep the damn stairs. And if he don't knock off the uh, blabbing, I'm going to have him come outside and, you know, mop the sidewalks or something. And you just see this look come over their face like, oh, my God, I'm really in prison. And this idiot is in charge of me. And I have to actually do what he says, not the other way around. Like, oops, don't do it's what like you Martin did. Scarelli with with what he's dealing with and spending time in the shoe because he couldn't couldn't follow simple rules, had to play with the cell phone. And granted, he was making so what, quite a what, bit of money. What, what happened there? So, yeah, I, I haven't heard anything about Martin Scarelli for a while. Uh, Martin Scarelli was running a massive business from in prison with his personal cell phone because obviously you, in prison, you're not allowed to conduct business. You're, if you own a business on the outside, you can't make business decisions for your business. You can't say, do this really? and do that. You're not allowed. Um, I, I, I thought, thought that, that I thought one thing that uh, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I thought one thing that Michael Santos said in his story that he was trading stocks in prison and making money that way. I can tell you if he was doing it, he wasn't allowed to be doing it. He was doing okay. it through. Maybe I have else. the story wrong, so don't yeah, don't. I, I, on that. And you may have heard it right because I've heard mm-hmm. similar individuals say similar things. However, I can tell you firsthand. Uh, I was on the phone. We were in the process of selling a business when I went to prison. This mm-hmm. and all it was a call center with a bunch of cubicles and computers. And the person that purchased a lot of the equipment from us had already taken some of the equipment but didn't pay us the money. So I made a simple statement to my partner: "Don't forget to get the rest of the money when you give him the cubicles, because he only paid a small portion up front." And immediately, within about twenty-four hours, I was called into my uh, case manager's office. My mm-hmm. case manager replayed the phone call and he says, what's going on here? It's like, I, I mean, I have a business on the outside and he breaks open the rule book showing me where you're not allowed to conduct a business from inside prison, threaten to take away my phones for 120 days, threaten to take away commissary, threaten to take away visits. So Martin Scarelli uh, had some sort of a pharmaceutical business and another one that he, I believe it was a pharmaceutical business. Don't quote me on that. Running it from the inside with a cell phone. Now, obviously, the cell phone's gone, and he's been sitting in solitary confinement for the last several weeks. That's probably the closest prison experience he's felt in the last couple of weeks of really, he's had everything has been stripped from him. The food that he, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, David, but when you're in solitary confinement, the only thing you're allowed to purchase off commissary is hygiene, stamps, envelopes, um, personal products, but no, none of the awesome food. You're not getting visitations on a regular basis, and you're probably very limited to the type of phone calls you can make. Well, in, in ours, you had one phone call every 30 days if you applied for it, and it was approved 24 hours in advance. And like you said, there's 
There's no food items that you're going to get off the commissary. It's it's just very basic. They have a they have a list of all the approved items that you can get, and uh, yeah. And what you're missing with the Scarelli thing it's it's the cell phone itself. If I caught you at the camp with a cell phone, you're in, you're probably going to get prosecuted. You're damn sure going behind the fence. Uh, you know you're an idiot to have a cell phone at, at our camp, but they did. And if we find one. We go through the phone list. We, we try to crack the codes. We got guys that that's all they do all day long is try to crack the codes on them cell phones, figure out whose phone it is, and then bust it off in them. So how do people get cell phones in? People like David bring them in. <laughs> yeah, it, it either comes from the staff or visitors. In, in our case, it's, it's visitors. Like when we were the Supermax, we had non-contact visits. We never had... Um, outside items end up on the inside we didn't have any drugs at all zero um and now at the camp that was a whole nother thing because uh, they would just like throw things out the window as they drove away and then the the guy would just walk over there and pick up his fifth whiskey or whatever um same thing with the cell phones and at the camp that's what they were doing with it hey i'll meet you at a such and such time in a certain location well i can't monitor that so who knows what they were sneaking in yeah, I think it was down, I want to say it was in Florida. Everything crazy happens in Florida. And Dan, you're going back there. I think there was, uh, I think it was a women's prison and the woman had just gotten out. And like a week later, she comes back and she had one of those t-shirt guns. Did you guys hear about this? And she was trying to shoot in um, mm, drugs I, and, I and different things with the t-shirt gun. And I think a cell phone was one thing she was shooting and obviously got caught, but. Yeah, they would they'd cut open a tennis ball, stuff something in it, and throw it under the rec yard. Yeah, that's just what I was going to say. Where I was at, you know, Coleman, we had a couple of giant softball fields on the low security that were pretty. I mean, it's amazing how anybody can just drive through there, and you're literally right. You can drive right by inmates, general public, without really being seen. Um, they would guys would bring in because we had the softballs we had were the big yellow softballs. So outsiders would wait till nighttime and they'd throw softballs over the fence that they'd cut open and put drugs in there. So every morning before the rec yard would open, the correctional staff would go do around and look for any softballs or anything that's in the yard. We had a drone fall out of the sky that had, it wasn't even, I, I don't even know what it was, literally dropped like an eighth of marijuana. They spent all this time with a drone to drop like $25 worth of like the shittiest weed you've ever seen. And of course the, the, the drone, I don't know how they figured out where the drone was coming from, but they got the person that had the drone. They got the person that ordered the drone and it became this giant ordeal where the whole prison was locked down for like the next two weeks because some idiot wanted to bring in like $25, $30 worth of grass weed. (laughs) Well, I mean, you got to love the dedication there. That's uh, or stupidity, whatever. I'm going to go with stupidity. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you, David, uh, at least one more thing before we, uh, before we get going here. I saw you had you had a video on if I think it was titled something like if I or if Schaefer Cox was going to get out of prison legally and I don't know if you, if you know this but I've had done a couple shows on Schaefer Cox obviously with this being a a libertarian show with libertarian audience people are very interested in uh in Schaefer and is, so is Schaefer Schaefer is in a prison max right and he's in a CMU correct He's in the CMU yeah and that's because he has a following and 
That's exactly right. Because people like you are talking about him and, and many others. So he, uh, he has a following and they'd like to cut that off at the knees. So again, can you just go through quickly what sort of what you said in that, in that YouTube video? Um, generally, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I know I it's, people can go and I'll link to it on the show notes page for people to watch the whole thing. I'm sure people will, will do that on their own. But uh, yeah, if you can just sort of summarize. I have seen inmates actually get no punishment for a murder because they sit in prison and they got nothing better to do. And they assist one another and they just look up the law. And they go over it and over it and over it. And eventually, in some instances, they've been able to find some little loophole. Uh, I've even been in on it with them. You know, like they'll, they'll tell me about, hey, man, did you see this thing here? And they'll explain it all to me. And because I'm kind of a legal beagle sort of guy, I listen to it and think, yeah, I kind of think that worked. Um, there was a guy from Oregon who was convicted of murder, sent to the feds, spent a bunch of years in the feds, and then he was supposed to go back to Oregon to be sentenced. Well, he found in the law that they only had a certain amount of time from conviction to sentencing. And the the thought behind it was then he would have the ability to bring in people that would say, you know, yeah, he killed somebody, but he's not really that bad. And because they took that that opportunity away from him because he was locked up for so many years, they had to give him, yeah, you're convicted, but no punishment. So if if Schaefer Cox is going to get out, the best way to do it is the legal way. Go over all the transcripts and uh, you can usually find something to appeal on. Whether or not you're going to win is is uh, problematic, but you don't want to run away hit the fence and get over the, you know, and end up out in the woods somewhere with the people like me and dogs following you. And you'll be looking over your shoulder the rest of your life. There are legal ways to get out. If you are smart enough, I know a guy named Martin McNally. He was doing, I don't know, a couple of three life sentences for being a, uh, air pirate back in the seventies. They got a, they got a picture of this guy with a bag over his head, holding a gun and a fake bomb scaring the shit out of everybody. It's snipers trying to get him. They eventually arrest him out in a field where he bails out of the airplane, busts his leg, and the farmer says, hey, there's some dude laying out in my field. He goes to prison, and I know he's doing life. He's never going to get out of prison. He's out. He now lives in uh, uh, St. Louis. The guy was just that smart, just kept working on it, and he, he, he escaped legally. Yeah. Did you ever have any experiences when you were working as a prison guard with uh, with an attempted escape? Every day is an attempted escape in that place. <laughs> That's all they think about. It's all they any, dream of. Any One successful day ones? Did anyone ever actually get out to the point where there was a, a prison break? Not when I worked there, but there's yeah. been uh, over the years, there's been a bunch of them. Um, there was three guys that just walked out the front door. Uh, I, I seen something like it in a, in a, um, Paul Hogan movie. He got a movie where he pushes a, a button on a, a TV remote and all the doors and stuff start opening and closing in the prison. And then he walks away, you know, laughing because he just made parole. Well, they actually did do that. That, that scene may have come from what actually happened at our prison. The, uh, 
they allowed the inmates to work on the uh, the last three grills, and duh, they figured out how to uh, defeat the system. Had a had a uh, uh, device made up that would open the, all three grills, and that's what they did. And then they ran out the front door. And there there's now a guard tower right there at the front door to prevent the the escape. One guy just uh, he decided he knew how to get salt out of seawater and make it fresh water. So he ran over the fence, both fences like 12 feet tall and all kinds of barbed wire on it. Guards shooting at him left and right. He never got hit. He went to uh, <clears throat> some university in Missouri, explained all of his thing, his theory to some uh, professor there and then turned himself into the FBI. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, just there's, there's some really strange people in prison. <laughs> so okay. He, he had a so he had invented his own uh way to what's it called desalinization of, of seawater and he it, just had he just had to tell story, somebody. Yeah. Wow. That's I don't know if it worked or not, but it was his story. Huh. And he got another 5 years consecutive to his sentence, so yeah, it, I hope it was worth it to him. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to thank you guys for for both coming on the show. But before I let you go, I want to give you a, a chance to to plug away. I know you guys are both putting out a lot of great content, and uh, this audience here is always looking for more content. So let's let's start with Dan. If you could just tell everybody where they can find your channel, what it would uh, remind them what it's called, and anything else you're working on. Absolutely. Come visit us over at RDAP Dan. That's R-D-A-P-D-A-N on YouTube. Visit us on the web, rdapdan.com. We're also on all other social medias from Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. If you know somebody that might be going through a really rough time, getting ready to possibly face something that they never imagined facing, the federal, the federal system, and they want the proper insight, they want to know how they can navigate the system, they want to know what they can do now to prevent not just from going to prison, but possibly minimize the casualty of how long they go to prison and dealing with their children, everything that's involved. Please, guys, don't hesitate. Give me a call or a text anytime. Well, lucky for you, Dan, Aunt Becky, Laurie Loughlin is a listener of this show, so you can expect a call. Is she really? We, we can we can split those commissions, though, right? We can. We can. I'll, uh, okay. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, David, plug away. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm David Lehman. I worked at the United States Penitentiary in Marion, Illinois for about 23 years. Uh, a great deal of that. We were a supermax prison. We transitioned into a sex offender unit. I have worked in the CMU. Um, uh, my channel is called As The Key Turns on YouTube. I also have a, a little bitty podcast called As The Key Turns. And I just tell the stories that the, I, the way I imagine it is uh, I'm sitting down drinking a cup of coffee with one of my coworkers and he's sitting across the desk from me and I'm just telling him one of the stories just like I did way back when. So if, if you're interested in hearing those kind of stories, just like uh, all the uh, prison guards talk about, correctional officers, hacks, whatever you want to call us, then uh, my channel is kind of the thing to, to listen to. Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, content. I think very unique content on both your channels. So definitely want to recommend that everybody checks them out. Of course, I'll link to them on the show notes page at lionsofliberty.com slash FF172. And uh, thank you guys for coming on the show. This was fun. I right, appreciate thank it. Thank you, John. Maybe next time my camera will work. <laughs> yeah, next time we'll get that camera working for you. 
All right. We'll see you guys later. Are you tired of banging your head against the proverbial wall of politics and getting nowhere toward actually making your life more free? Are you tired of interview podcasts that have the same guests as every other libertarian interview podcast out there? Are you tired of hearing the same news stories that you can hear on the mainstream media? Then you need to listen to The Lava Flow, where we don't do politics and we don't do the major stories that exist only to divide you. We talk about news that affects you and your freedom, and we work to find solutions that can actually help you to be more free. Check us out at thelavaflow.com. Listen to We Are Libertarians at WeAreLibertarians.com. My name is Chris Spengel, and I host a show where we talk about the stories you and your friends are talking about, and then we give you libertarian solutions so you sound smarter when you're talking to your friends. We're going to make you sound like a genius. Tune in now at WeAreLibertarians.com. Are those dry, boring, run-of-the-mill political talk shows putting you to sleep on your commute or at work? Are you ready for some fun? Look no further, Blast Off with Johnny Rocket is a Seattle-based podcast expressing viewpoints of free markets, voluntary exchange, badass music, wicked banner, and of course, drinking. The Blast Off doesn't shy from the truth, but always brings the party. Let's rock and roll, Raylene. Bring it on, Johnny. You can check us out at thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash blastoff. Again, that's thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash blastoff. Launchpad Media. Always launching ideas in your direction. I want to thank Dan and David both for coming on today's show. I think uh, this brought you guys some very unique and in- interesting content. And if you like this show, please give me some feedback. Shoot me an email, felonyfriday at lionsofliberty.com. Reach out to me on uh, in our Facebook group. You can find our Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum, by just typing Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top of the old Facebook. It'll pop up, ask to join. And as long as you're a real person and you answer our one question, which is asking where you heard about us, you'll get in the group and you can join in the conversation and give me feedback on this episode. Let me know if you want to hear more episodes like this. This was an episode of Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, a little bit different than a traditional Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor type episode. But that's the way I think things will go on Felony Friday for uh, doing our monthly LILDL segment. I think I'll rotate back and forth. Every other month will be, uh, you know, like this month was criminal justice people. Maybe I'll bring on police officers the next time. But I, I think I'll rotate. I think I'll do a month with uh, maybe criminal justice type individuals who that's their you know job function, their activism, uh, what they do for a living. And then the next month, I think we'll keep it internal with uh, Lions of Liberty, the crew here at Lions of Liberty, maybe bring on a a fellow libertarian activist from time to time into that group to spice things up. But I think we'll go back and forth like that and see how it goes. Every other month, switching between those two formats for that one LILDL episode for Felony Friday. If you don't know what the heck I'm talking about, that's because you're probably a new listener to the show. Uh, What Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor is, I mentioned it briefly at the top, it is a roundtable type episode. Uh, the hosts of this program, Lions, the Lions of Liberty podcast, Mark, Brian, and myself, we're all libertarians, and libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor is a play off of, I actually came up with it, hat tip to myself, 
Uh, it's a playoff of Jerry Seinfeld's Comedians in Cars Drinking Coffee. So take that, Seinfeld. And uh, so what it's supposed to be is a casual conversation, and we're sort of expanding that concept. And we've made a promise to you guys, the listeners, for each of our shows, our flagship program on Monday, our um, Wednesday program, Electric Liberty Land, and, and Felony Friday on Friday, once a month, we're each going to host an, an episode of Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor. All right. I don't think I can say that uh, any more times. But if you have any questions about that, just shoot me an email if that didn't make any sense. Thank you guys for listening. I'm not going to say anything else because I, frankly, I'm tired. So I'm just going to get going. I'm recording this late on a Thursday night before I publish it for you on Friday morning. Hope you guys have a great Easter weekend, a relaxing Easter weekend with family, get some great food. And uh, yeah, so with that being said, guys, this is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.